Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafur Shalema, for Haim Aviel Ben Rus, and Livko Batmaria Mazal. I am so excited to have on today's show Rebbitzin Ilana Kaland. Rebbitzin Ilana is originally from London, England. She attended BJJ Seminary in Jerusalem and then received a BA in Jewish Studies from the University of London, as well as a diploma in counseling. She spent nine years working as a Rebbitzin in the London Aish Hatarah community. Rebbitzin Ilana is a special out-of-town guest as she and her family currently live in Israel, where she has been involved in teaching and education administration, including three years as a principal of a seminary for post-high school graduates. She is a sought-after lecturer, educator internationally, with specialties in the topics of relationships and women's issues. Wow, what amazing accomplishments. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Oh, well, it depends when, you know, if you'd have asked me before COVID, it was a very different answer to the, the answer that I give now. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, but I think, I think God knows where you need to be at what time. And I've been very, very busy at home dealing with a million different things and actually really like a, having a, a nice time of just really embracing my, my mummy role uh, in a very serious way over the last, over the last 18 months or more. Um, we did have a nice Corona um, hobby. We started an Instagram channel for relationship videos. Oh, uh, my fun. husband and I, which we, yeah, it was really fun. Um, so every week we would put up a five minute video to help either singles or people in relationships improve their relationships. So that was like a, you know, the big Corona hobby. And apart from that, it's been home, home, home. Wow. Oh, that is so cool about the relationships. Wow. About the yeah. relationship advice. I'm sure you were able to give... Uh, I mean, amazing advice to all these women who've been struggling at home with their families, you know, yeah. I don't want to say cooped up, but like pretty much stuck for lack of a better word, stuck with their husbands and their children, not knowing what to do. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's been a tough time for everybody. It has. You've got people who are, who are so lonely, who are desperate to be in relationships and people who know that they're blessed, but are suffocating from their relationships. Everybody's had like a very interesting, totally different angle on their struggle, but it's been a time that's really uh, challenged us and you know the cracks that were there have shown through you know really come through and we've had to really make sure that you know we do the work to make sure that those cracks didn't get bigger you know it's been a it's been a big time for people is there something that you could share for us for, um, to, with us from that podcast or from the information that you had shared with the other women something to help our listeners really you know with our relationships and building and solidifying their relationships with their significant others yeah I mean, this is something that I think isn't generally true when you have a big challenge, you know, but, you know, when there's a big challenge and you're in a relationship, there's suddenly three components. There's you, there's your spouse or significant other, and then there's the, you know, the unwanted party. And very often, by the way, the unwanted thing may be anything. It could be, a, God forbid, an illness in the family. It could be being out of a job. It could be, um, you know, a child struggling with their Jewish identity. It could be, it could be many, many things. What tends to happen quite naturally is that the, the sort of enormity and the unexpectedness of this third party comes in and it really creates a wedge between the two of you. You find yourself extra stressed. You find yourself on different pages. You find yourself arguing over it. You find yourself accusing each other of the impact of or, or, or the reason why it's there or who's to blame, you know? And um, like one of the ideas that we, that we shared because we've experienced this in life is that the minute that the two of you are facing a new um, challenge, you have to recognize that this challenge is not as strong as the two of you if you get together. 
So there has to be, and it's not just like in your heart, there has to be a conscious conversation of, okay, we need, we need a battle plan over here. That means that we have to make sure that A, we're on the same page and we've spoken out that page and we found, you know, found a way to be like allies in this war, you know, and B, we are consciously not going to let this thing ram our way, ram its way between us by, you know, being aware of the fact that this is a new pressure, pressures are not great for relationships. And we're going to actually sort of like really band together to deal with this because once we're doing it together, it's not bigger than the two of us. But that has to be conscious and articulated. And there's sometimes there really has to be work done to get people back on the same page as each other. And then suddenly it's like, it's almost like a bonding experience because it's the two of us against this thing rather than this thing weakening us. Right. And that makes perfect sense. And so that brings me to my next question. I mean, it's so important for, for a couple to bond together, you know, together against the thing that's trying to weaken them. But what if there's a situation that only one person wants to work on the relationship and the other one doesn't. So it, you know, it's hard to bond with somebody when they don't want to bond with you. Yeah. You know, so sometimes you have to be, you know, like always, I gave a class the other day and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you the best piece of wisdom that you ever heard. And this was it. You ready? Want to hear Vera? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You didn't understand what I said, did you? I didn't. <laughs> you know why? Why? Because I didn't say I didn't say in a language that you speak. <laughs> okay. Yes. This is like a this is like an Aramaic verse from a song that I know. You know, and it could have been the best advice ever, but it's useless to you. You know, if if your spouse or your significant other isn't interested in like, let's use this to bond us because that's just like, oh no, they're just going to be irritating and want more from me. Right. You know, you have to speak in a language that they understand. The language may be. I don't know how to deal with this. I need your input. Um, I have a lot of respect for how you see this and I'm struggling. Um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling lonely. Like what is, the, what is the language that will actually, you know, speak to the person that you're talking to in a way that will get a response from them. If you continue to speak in your language and not theirs, they're not going to understand what you're trying to say and they're not going to respond. So in all communication, the rule number one is like, do I know the language of the person that I'm talking to? And, and I, I don't mean English, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean the language. Yes. I mean that which um, gets their attention, that, that which makes them take you seriously, that which, you know, sort of like whatever it does, maybe it makes them feel that they're, they're gonna rescue you because they're a rescuer. Maybe that makes them feel that their opinion is valid because they wanna be respected. Maybe that makes it, you know, them feel compassionate because deep down, like who are they and how do you talk to them? If we don't figure that out, we're gonna spend our lives talking to walls. Wow. That's very powerful because that's key. You're right. You could be talking to somebody, yes, in their spoken language, language, which is either English, Russian, French, Hebrew, whatever that is. And yeah. they may hear and understand the words that you're saying, but you're not really communicating with them on a deep emotional level. So they're not really getting you, so to speak. So they're not really absorbing what you have to say. Right. That's right. We see this with kids the whole time. It's like people will tell me, I nag my kids and they ignore me and they ignore me. I'm like, yeah, because you are sending out a vibe of like switch off this annoying noise. Like they don't want to hear you. You have to change how you're talking. You know, don't say to the kids, you need to clean up. It's such a mess in here. You know, maybe you need to say, 
you know, whoever's room, came, you know, whoever's room is keen first will get an ice cream. Like, speak in the language of the person that you're talking to, and you'll get a response out of them. You know, ABCs. That's a huge game changer, though. That's so powerful. <laughs> it sounds very, very basic, but it's a huge, huge game changer if we can follow this advice. It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> And so I know one of the things that you're really passionate about is women's emotional health and well-being, particularly in the area of understanding our own thoughts and how those thoughts have a profound effect on us. And as women, I mean, we have thousands of thoughts floating around our heads every day. We worry about the issues we have with our husbands on when we're going to find our husbands, you know, if we're not married. We worry about our kids or when we're going to have kids. We worry about our parents. We think about what we're going to make for dinner where we're going to go on vacation. And we wonder why that person took our parking spot when clearly we were waiting 10 minutes for that parking spot. (laughs) (laughs) We have thoughts of all kinds all day and some of them are positive. And honestly, some of them are not so positive. And I feel like sometimes when we have negative thoughts, we get stuck in them and we cannot get out of that negative mindset. So I want to see if you could please share with us about how we don't have to be victims to our own negative thoughts and how we can really, really control our thoughts so we can be in a positive mindset and move forward. Okay, so um, I have nothing interesting to share with you in terms of controlling thought. However, um, I have something interesting to share in terms of understanding how thought works. Great. <laughs> okay. Once you have a, an understanding of how thought works, even if it's a, 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 a small understanding, um, you know, you, this could be very impactful. It was impactful in, in my life, uh, and I love sharing this particular idea. Okay. Um, and that is, you know, like when we talk about free will, right? If I were to ask you to name a free will decision that you've made, can you, could you t- name one or two? Like what's a typical free will decision? A typical free will decision. Um, whether I'm going to choose to eat something healthy for breakfast or something sweet. Right. right. Okay, good. And you know, the answers always have the chocolate with the coffee because that's how you should start your day. You know that, exactly. right? <laughs> that's right. Okay. I have found that whenever I ask this question, um, there is a common theme to all the answers that I get. And that is that people will name me an action, okay? Because we live in societies that tell us that there are things that we can do and things that we cannot do. And if we do certain things, we'll be fine. And if we do the other things, we'll be fined or jailed or something, you know? So we grow up, we grow up even if we're Jewish, we grow up with a very strong sort of, you know, secular understanding of good behavior, which is think what you like, feel what you like, but just do what you're, t- what you're told, what you're supposed to do. And what this means is that we can be the most fantastic, um, you know, doers. We can be on committees and feeding our children and eating those salads and getting dressed and going to the gym. And we can be looking impressive and even intimidating and together. And inside our heads and our hearts, we can be a complete mess. Right. (laughs) And that's absolutely fine. So long as we're behaving well. Okay. Nobody wants to see somebody behaving in a way that shows mental breakdown. Nobody wants to see that. Everybody wants to see you functioning because we live in the world of what you do. You're judged on what you do. Nobody cares about what you think, but you keep it in your mind and nobody cares about what you feel. So we've lost the art of understanding where we have free will and how we think and feel because nobody really cares. Wow, that's fascinating. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Okay, okay. So, um, so... I'm going to talk for a few minutes about, or even less hopefully, about 
what it means to have free will when it comes to your thoughts. Okay. Because like you said, there are so many thoughts and, you know, I could never write down, I mean, it's already four o'clock in the afternoon because I'm Israel time. If you asked me to write down an inventory of all my thoughts today, there's no way I could, I could do it. I've had so many thoughts. Um, and most of those thoughts are fine. And then there are the ones that really bother me. Um, you know, like, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, like, you know, am I boring? And, uh, you know, like, did I give the right food to my kids? Or are they going to feel like I'm, you know, just like cheating them out of like nutrition? And do I look okay if I put on weight? And, you know, sometimes we have thoughts that really are like really negative and they take us into very negative phases. And um, I learned an idea, um, I learned it um, originally in the context of uh, what's called the three principles or innate health. But then I saw it in a Jewish source, which, you know, was extremely powerful. And I, and I love the way that it was phrased. I heard it, um, I don't remember where I heard it, but I'm quoting Rav Matis Yehu Solomon, who's a, obviously a very famous rabbi in, in America. And the quote that I heard was, we are not responsible for our first thought, and understanding that is the underpinning of sanity. Okay, this is a very big statement. We have to break it down. Okay. What does it mean that you're not responsible for your first thought? What's a first thought mean? The, the very first thing that comes into your mind. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and every new conversation, there's another first thought, right? So I'm walking, you know, down the street and I'm like, wow, that woman looks terrible. Ooh. I'm such a bad person, right? <laughs> you know, well, that man looks wonderful. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. Like whatever your first thought is, he says, and it's so important to know this, you know, if you were really responsible for that first thought, how many thoughts have you had that would have put you in prison if anybody could read your mind? Or oh, put you in, thousands. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or put you in the psychiatric unit or lost you a bunch of friends, okay? So we have to know that thoughts, if you like, that sort of come our way, we are not responsible for, they're not a reflection of how good or bad we are. Whatever thought comes, comes. I'm not responsible for that. And nor do I have to like feel the guilt of the responsibility for that. And otherwise, if I have an angry thought, a sexual thought, an aggressive thought, a twisted thought, I think I'm, you know, crazy, dangerous, you know, a maniac or whatever that is. And we all have those thoughts. We all have those thoughts because any thought can come visit us. It's not a reflection of who we are. But if you look carefully at what he's saying, knowing that you're not responsible for the first thought is underpinning of sanity you're not crazy if you had a crazy thought that makes sense but what it teaches us which is fascinating is that we're not responsible for the first thought but we can take responsibility for the ensuing thought which means if i have a thought which is like i want to kill her that's fine you know i'm just you know I, I, at this point now i have a choice whether i follow that thought through now if i follow that all the way through I'm going to go from thought to emotion and to action if there's nothing stopping me I'm going to say yeah I really want to kill her I can't believe she did this and then I'm going to get all riled up and create a huge story and you know if society didn't stop me I might even take out a gun and go all the way right okay and again we know you can want to kill her you can think to kill her you can feel like killing her just don't kill her okay that's we've only been told the line is needs to be drawn at action yes. but but we're learning over here that you don't have to draw the line in terms of responsibility for a thought that comes your way. But once it comes your way, you have the choice whether you follow it through or not. True. I agree. Yes. And this is why this is why what's so important about this is because we think that we're responsible for the first thought, we never assume responsibility for the second thought, meaning it's my thoughts. I, you know, they, like, it's who I am that's taking blame or there's nothing I can do about it. That's not taking blame. 
but we're making an incredibly important distinction here that any old unwanted random thought may come to visit you at any time but what happens next is some is, is something that you have choice so again if if i feel like i'm a bad person because i have a bad thought i'm going to go into that negative thinking or if I feel like I have no control over any of my thoughts, then I'm not gonna make a distinction between the first thought and the second thought, I'm just gonna go there. But once I know that the first thought is a free thought, but after that I can say, I don't have to go there. So I can have an insecure thought. I can think to myself, wow, I, th I think everybody got together and they didn't invite me. Like that thought can come visit me. But then I can say, where am I going from here? Am I going down to that place of self-doubt and self-consciousness and pity and rejection? Or am I going to take myself there? Because really what happens now, I do have control over. Or am I going to say, okay, there was the thought, now what? And here's the amazing thing about thought. Can we pretend to play ball, Vera? Sure. Once, I know we're on Zoom. Okay, so I'm going to throw the ball to you. Catch? Yep. Okay, now throw the ball to me. Throw the ball to me. Throw, yep. Oh, thank you. Okay, I'm going to throw it back to you. Ready? Yep. Got it. Okay, throw it back to me. Good, now throw it back to me. The game is now over because I didn't catch the ball. Got it. Right? Okay. Yeah. The ball comes to me. It's it's throwing a ball at me. If I catch it and throw it back, I'm now playing ball. If I decide to do nothing, mm -hmm. the end of the game. So that thought that I am not responsible for can come and knock on my door. But then I have to decide, am I going to let you in and talk to you? Right. And you know what happens if a thought comes and you do absolutely nothing, which means neither do you agree with it nor do you engage in it nor do you refute it you just do nothing you put your hands up in the air as that ball is thrown you know what happens to a thought it goes away yeah because <laughs> it only turns into a conversation if you engage back it's like a ball game right so when i have a thought and i'm not feeling responsible for it i can say wow that was a terrible thought today isn't that interesting and then i do this And if I don't take the bait, guess what? Another thought comes, but it's right. a different thought. Right. That's right. It's a different thought. So once I understand how thinking works and where my responsibility is, I can pull back from those conversations in my head that take me to the places that aren't good for me. That's also, that's very, very powerful. And it's so true. It's so, so true. And I love what you said about, you know, when you, you're, you're somewhere, you're in the supermarket or you're waiting for the train and everybody's lined up nicely. Everybody's doing their own thing. You have no idea what's going on in somebody's head. They could be having an argument with somebody else inside of their own head. You would mm -hmm. never, ever yeah. They could be right. going the, the, the most angst, like they could be so depressed, so anxious, so angry. And they're there yeah. in the supermarket picking the apples, picking the tomatoes. And you're thinking, wow, such a normal looking person. And really there's like a battle raging inside their head. That's right. That's right. That's right. And then every so often we hear about, you know, those crazy people who killed 50 people in their backyard. And yes. they were just the people who took all those other emotions and took it to the next level and acted. But we do not want to be te teetering on that edge. We want to be way back in the place of, I don't go to unhealthy places in my mind, you know? Right. And unhealthy places in my mind begins with thought. We thought, exactly. Okay. Well, so um, I, I feel like we can all relate to examples of everyday life situations. And based on what you're saying, I wanted to see if maybe you could share with us an example uh, or two from your personal life where maybe you've had to battle with negative thoughts of any kind and you overcame that struggle by, you know, you overcame the struggle to be pulled down by the negative and you kind of stopped that thought and you went on to a different thought, like something real that happened to you in your life. 
Right. Well, I mean, it's not, I can't, I, I could tell you one story, I could tell you a thousand, but the truth is this happens all the time because I'm, I'm consciously aware of how my thought works. Yes. So I'm constantly finding myself, um, you know, either being really conscious of, that, of the fact that, oh, there was a first thought, don't get into it. Or, you know, and pulling back from what would have been a, 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 an emotional disaster, you know, right. like, so, you know, my husband might make a comment and, you know, I can hear myself saying, I can't believe he said that, you know, and that was so insensitive and doesn't, he know, blah, 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 you know, and um, I have saved myself so many like bad, bad moments by saying, okay, the thought that occurred to me was like, I can't believe he said that. And then recognizing, okay, where do I, where do I go from here? Do I go from... He was just being funny, <laughs> you know, do I just let it go? Uh, do I say, honey, can you rephrase that? Like, I, I have a choice at that point. And, you know, I, I try and do this very consciously, but I wanted to say, I, I'm, I'm more interested in talking about when I fail to do this. Okay, yes, know. yes, here's an example okay. too, yes. Because when I fail to do this, what happens is um, suddenly, uh, you know, I kind of like forgot to catch that moment where I was at first thought, second thought, and I'm just there already. I mean, and for me, um, you know, I guess my tendencies might be to go to a place of self-consciousness or to go to a place of, you know, feeling like I'm not doing enough, uh, you know, or that, uh, you know, guilt, whatever, whatever my things are, abandonment. We all have our, our various tr like beaten tracks, you know, but what's what I found very amazing is that um, it's not about succeeding every time. Because very often you won't, you'll, thought, you'll, you'll find yourself engaging in your thoughts without even realizing it. And before you know it, you're in this like darker place. But what I've noticed is that because I understand what's happened, because I understand that all that happened was I engaged in a thought and it took me to a place, yes. I can take it a little bit less seriously. You know, meaning it's a little bit like the difference between going, um, you know, in a really bad car ride and going on a roller coaster, you know, <laughs> like a really bad car ride is very, very scary if you think you're going to die, you know, going on a roller coaster can also be scary and it can also make you scream. But if you understand what's happening, even if you're already on that roller coaster, it can take the edge off um, the experience. You know, if you're on a roller coaster and you think you're in a car, then you're in trouble. Okay, because then you think you're just like about to die, you know. But once, once I know that, once I can, you know, and very often if I'm in a bit of a low place, and you know, house will say, you, you know, you okay, honey, and I'll say, yeah, I kind of just let my thinking get to me today, you know, and he'll say, okay, and I'll say, okay, you know, I could do with some like hot chocolate and some, you know, <laughs> and 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 my bed for like a little bit, but. I understand that what isn't happening is that the world's gone sour. What's happened is that my mind is taking me to a place where I'm seeing the world through darker glasses. But I also know that um, that's going to shift because I'm going to have, if, if, I, if I don't fight myself too hard, there's going to be new thoughts that come and they're going to take me to, to, be, to better places. You know, so it's not always about getting this right. It's about understanding what's happening when you get it wrong. And being able to say, okay, I'm in a low, I'm in a low thinking place today. You know, I, I fell into the trap and I'm in a low thinking place today, but it doesn't mean that the world is worse than it was this morning. And it doesn't mean that everything's terrible. It just means that I took my thoughts too seriously. And if I can know that that is all that's happened, it's much easier for me to, to not get sucked into what my thoughts are trying to make me believe and to sort of wait it out. Um, and then, you know, and, and that, that, that sort of, uh, like pull, pulling the, the 
you know, the, like the Emperor's New Clothes situation, you know, where you where you recognize that you fall into a thought trap rather than what your thoughts are telling you are the, are the truth of about who you are. You know, that already makes it easier to say, okay, I'm feeling a bit down right now, but I'm, I'm okay, I'm gonna be okay. And there's a place deeper in me than my thoughts that is always okay. You know, there's a place in me where I know everything's okay, where the world is centered, where I'm not too high or too low, I'm just kind of in a well-being place. And I'm gonna get back to that because that's my that's my always mode. And when I get knocked off it, it's okay because I'm gonna kind of, I'm a weeble wobble, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna get back into my center any minute now. Um, and I find that that's also really important to not just not fail at this, but to, to understand what's happening when you do go down that, to that place and to be able to just give the time that it's, is necessary for you to naturally sort of recover your, your, your groundedness. Right, right. No, it's so important because, you know, there's some people who are just, I mean, they're deep in depression. I mean, it's, it's almost beyond like being stuck in a bad place. I mean, they're, they're in a pit and all they can see is black and it hasn't been black just for one day. It's been black for days, weeks, months, even years, you know, and it's serious. I mean, a lot of people are on depression medic medication, you know, antidepressants yeah. and it's, yeah. it's really hard because they're, they're really genuinely stuck, you know? Right. Is there something you can do when you're like, you're so stuck, you're beyond stuck in that negative zone? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've spoken to people with depression and very often, you know, it's very, very hard to be incredibly consistently depressed, you know? Meaning um, even people who are deep in depression will have cracks where the light comes through a little bit, you know? Okay. And I think it's very important for, for us to begin the process of believing um, that it's, you know the depression is um it's an illness it's a mindset it's very very overwhelming but the truth of who we are lies in the cracks of light lies in those in those in those moments of okayness that we sometimes experience even through a depression and i i think that's very very important for you know for us to believe more deeply in our wellness than in our illnesses wow that's it's very very important powerful. yes um, I'm also like just currently, um, you know, I, I read something very beautiful on some kind of stupid post the other day, but I thought it was it was very true, like I, something along the lines of, you know, if you go to your doctor for anxiety and they don't ask you how you're eating, how you're sleeping, what your friends are like, blah, 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 blah then they're not, you know, they're not looking after your health. They're they're a, they're a drug pusher, <laughs> you know. And you know, we, we, we are very, very much in a state of anxiety and a global state of anxiety. Um, Corona has really put the heat up on the anxiety. And I'm sure that's all part of the, the great plan because maybe, you know, maybe, maybe anxiety will, will lead us somewhere in the end. You know, maybe it'll it'll lead us to stop like kidding ourselves that everything's fine and actually like take a look on the, you know, inside what's happening. But um I do think that the anxiety to some degree is like the final symptom of a of a of a whole bunch of things that have gone wrong in our life. Um, you know, and I think it's really important not just to, you know, beat the anxiety with the medication. You know, but to ask, are all the pieces in place? You know, um, those pieces might mean, um, am I getting enough quiet time with, with nature? Um, do I have enough of a connection to a community to whom I belong? Um, am I having creative expression? You know, there's, I, I have a whole list of them. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of writing them all up, but there are different aspects of our life. And if they're all in place, then we might still experience, you know, anxious moments and, and anxiety. We may have a, you know, a biological tendency or genetic tendency towards it, but we cannot expect our, our, our 
our mental health to maintain itself when everything in our life that needs to be in order is upside down and then we're just trying to fight anxiety right you know that there are there are pieces that need to be in place you know like somebody was telling me once that they that they um they had a terrible issue with their jaw their jaw kept on clicking out you know and uh, and they went to see some like i don't know homeopathic doctor and the doctor like you know punched them in the hips okay and they passed out from the pain but they'd been walking around for like 20 years with a dislocation in their hips so their jaw kept on popping out because they weren't aligned properly you know wow it's like if everything is off then yeah we're gonna feel it in our mental state yeah you know we have to make sure that we start at our feet and we move to our knees and we move to our hips and and if everything is in place then you can assume your jaw is going to work because like your jaw should work if everything else is in place you know we're putting so much focus on our anxiety and we're not really asking the question you know what's missing in my life that 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 i'm experiencing this horrible symptom of anxiety how many how how fast is my life how empty is my life how lonely is my life how godless is, is my life if I'm empty and lonely and pressured and godless, you know, surprise, surprise, I'm going to experience anxiety. And Corona's just made us slow down so we could actually realize how crazy our lives have become over the last, you know, 50 years, you know. And, you know, we have to rethink the entire body so that we can make sure that jaw's working, you know. It's such an interesting perspective. You're right. You know, there are things in our lives that are not aligned. It's not surprising that we're going to be anxious, depressed, upset, and that our, that our thoughts are going to be all crazy and negative. You know, we really right. have to take a right. great stock about what's going on in our lives. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I mean, along, along the lines of having the ability to have some kind of power over our thoughts to, you know, to control them somewhat. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of Bahira, which is free will, the freedom of choice, which I feel like can be a confusing concept because Hashem, God is really in control of what happens to us. He's in control of the results, in control of the outcomes, you know, and our free will is actually limited to basically what we think and what we say and what we do, as you were saying. And I just wanted to ask if you can please clarify for us the concept of actual free will and what it means for us practically in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. You know, there's, there's lots of things um, in our life that we experience as choices and then we see they're not really choices, you know, like you'll find yourself having to choose between, you know, I don't know, one kind of ice cream or the other kind of ice cream. It's not a choice. <laughs> you might find yourself driving in, and you meant to go left and by accident you turned right and you bumped into a friend. There was no choice in that either, you know. Choice means to me, okay, and of course, God knows what I'm going to choose because God, there's nothing that God doesn't know. But the point is that I don't know it. So when I'm in the middle of making a choice, I'm the one who needs it. I'm the one who doesn't know it. I don't, if I'm making a difficult choice, I don't find myself closing my eyes and God makes it for me. Like I still have to go through the pain of choosing. Exactly. Choice really means when in front of me, there is a fork in the road. And one of those forks represents comfort. <laughs> and the other fork represents effort right okay and the effort there means that by choosing that I'm going to take one step higher in my personal you know growth ladder and one step closer to godliness and to connection with God by doing the right thing now when I say comfort or effort sometimes the right choice is to go to bed because you don't get enough sleep so it doesn't mean you can't ever do anything comfortable But if a person is struggling with going to bed, their natural inclination is to tell them, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. You know, they have to make an effort to say, I have to put myself to bed right now. It's the choice of 
that which is good over that which is, you know, my nature or my nurture and isn't going to get me to the place that I need to get. Not all our choices have to feel uncomfortable, but we have to find ourselves saying, I, I, I'm sitting in front of a choice right now. One of them is natural to me, even if it's bad for me. And one of them is, a, is, is, is stepping slightly outside of my comfort zone, but it's going to get me a better result. You know, am I going to stay angry with my friends or am I going to reach out and apologize? That will give me much more pleasure in the end, but I have to step out of my comfort zone. You know, am I going to speak kindly to the people around me or am I going to shout because I'm in a bad mood? You know, it might be nice. It might be more pleasant to speak nicely, but like it's more easy for me to shout because that's what I always do. Here's the fork in the road. Nobody knows except for God. And, and it doesn't help me because because he, he hasn't told me. Okay, <laughs> <Right>. Nobody knows <laughs> which one I'm going to choose. But one will take me to a better place in who I am, and one will take me further away. And when I can identify that and take responsibility to know that I am the author of my own life, and I will end up going wherever I put myself based on whether I just shouted or whether I was patient, whether I went to sleep or whether I just deprived myself of more sleep, whether I made out with my friend or whether I stayed in a burgess that fork in the road is up to me. And when I see a moral choice, not a chocolate vanilla choice, but a moral choice, and I feel the struggle and I do my best to do the right thing. I'm experiencing a good, a, a good Bukhira choice. And that can be in what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing. <laughs> you know, it, it affects us all over the place in all aspects of our life. That's amazing. And it's so true. It's so true. You know, it's so the, the irony of the situation is that today I brought my girls to school and I came home and I, as I was getting out of my car, a neighbor from, you know, a neighbor, he lives a couple of doors down. He came up to me and he said to me, you know, Vera, I'm really struggling. This is a true story. This happened to me this morning. True story. I'm not making this up. He said, you know, Vera, I'm really struggling. I'm wavering. Like, I, you know, he's having a difficult, difficult time with his spirituality. And he just, he wanted to, he wanted some advice. He wanted some hisuk for me. He wanted some strength for yeah. me. You know? He's like, yeah. what, what should I do? Where should I go? You know, he felt specifically for him in his situation that there were a lot of restrictions especially in Judaism, you know, he grew up Jewish, he grew up from, he grew up in this lifestyle. And now he's a little bit older. I, I don't know, maybe he, he's in the seventies, maybe I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's really struggling with those restrictions. And he's like, Vera, I, I, I'm wavering. I'm really wavering. I don't know what to do. You know, yeah. his kids are grown. You know, he doesn't have babies anymore. He doesn't, you know, he and his wife live by, by himself, by themselves. And they just, you know, he's looking at other areas and saying, maybe that maybe it's more fun. Like he's really struggling with those moral choices that you're talking yeah. about, you know? And he was, yeah. he was looking to me for guidance. I just see that because that's such yeah. a, in his free will box, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. Like where, where does he go from there? It's, but so, so my point in saying that is like people really struggle with this. And a lot of times they take the easy way out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you were saying the fork in the road, the one where it takes a little bit more effort and the one that's a little bit more comfortable. So yeah. like, I feel like, especially in Judaism, I, I mean, in, in every aspect of life, for sure. But I feel like, especially in Judaism and the people that I speak with, taking the moral choice that maybe requires a little bit more effort, that's a little bit more difficult, something that they're not used to, is something, it's something that they struggle with and they, they feel so uncomfortable that they, they don't always go that route. They feel, they go with yeah. the that they're more comfortable with, the, that they're more used to. I was just wondering, yeah. maybe maybe what would you, what advice would you give to, to this man or others? There's so many others like him. Oh my goodness. There's such bad marketing surrounding Judaism, you know, <laughs> like 
Judaism has become like this big list of no's, this big fat party yeah. pooper. You That's know, how, exactly how it's done. I, I do want to share something actually, which is very dear to my heart, you know. So I think it is the tradition of every woman at the beginning of the week to decide what she's going to deprive herself of so that she's thin by the end of the week. And I'm not the only one, right? Tell me that we all do this. Yeah, well, for sure. All of us. Yes, <laughs> we all do this, right? Like this is going to be the week until I'm hungry at 10 a.m., in which case I'm going to have that chocolate bar. But so, you know, I, I suddenly noticed um, something very interesting that like I've been doing this regularly, like, OK, what am I what am I going to promise I'm not going to eat this week? What am I going to cut out of my diet this week? But, I'm, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, it's really strange because like over the last I don't know, 10 years, I've been following this ritual, hasn't made any difference. It just makes me like hungry and irritated. And maybe I'm doing something wrong, <laughs> you know? So I decided to ask myself a different question. And it was the first time I had ever asked myself this question. The question was not, what can I deprive myself of this week in the name of health and fitness? The question was, what can I give to myself this week? What, is my, what would my body like that I don't give it enough of? And I had a very, very fast answer, you know, two things. And it's not, you know, any, any nutritionist will say duh, but I was like, you need to drink more and we need to get more vegetables into your diet, you know? And for the first time in, I don't know how long, instead of starting the week off with a deprivation list, I started the week off with an addition list. And wow. it's probably the first week that I lost weight in about five years. That's because guess what? Game changer. Yeah, because when my body was getting like nutrients and water, it didn't need all that, you know, all those carbs. And when that happened to me, I thought to myself, my goodness, this is so true Judaism. You know, we look at Judaism as what I can't do on Shabbat and what I can't eat and where I can't go. And when we turn Jewish restriction into a, a, an unpleasant experience, I believe that there's a Yitzhahara in that. I believe that there's a Yitzhahara in that. And when people are struggling with their growth and their Judaism, I think they need to a little bit not worry about all the, all the restrictions that they're struggling with and ask themselves a more important question, which is how can Judaism be a pleasure in my life? What can I do more of that is gonna make me feel more connected? And they might suddenly find that they're answering things like, you know, I need to connect through meditation or I need to learn how to do that. Or I need to engage in giving in a way that makes me feel like I'm contributing or there's so much pleasure in Judaism. And I understand there's restriction too, but if you're struggling and you feel like you're teetering over the edge of, you know, like I can't do this anymore, stop asking, what can I deprive myself of and ask myself, how can I sweeten my relationship with this so that this has brought more joy into my life? And you'll find, by the way, you'll find, by the way, that you eat less carbs. When you spend your whole week, you know, giving to the poor or smiling at people, you know, because you want to be a good person, you'll find that you're not under the stress of like, I can't put my dinner on Shabbat because you, you fill that, that Jewish space with something that's joyous and fulfilling. It doesn't feel like it's strangling you and demanding of you. You know, it's, it's just the same. It's, it was exactly the same idea as that food experience. If you filled yourself with the stuff that gives you joy, you know, the stuff that you shouldn't be doing, well, there'll be less space for it because you'll be so full. Wow. That's amazing. It's really the key, um, you know, of thinking, what can I add? How can I enrich myself? How can I make this better? As opposed to how can I deprive myself? You know, what can I limit? It's really, it's a shift in thinking. It's a significant shift in thinking. It's a shift in thinking. And, and the crux of the shift is that God isn't trying to punish me with his laws. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a shift into 
God actually loves me and wants what's best for me. And maybe I'm not able to appreciate all the rules that are going to be good for me, but I, to be able to relate to Judaism, which really is, you know, it really is a, a directive from God. If you're looking at God as someone who, as a being who wants the best for you and loves you and cares about you, you'll have a much easier time assuming that you can have a joyous experience over here. If you see God as tyrannical or, you know, some kind of egomaniac that's out to get you because you're projecting bad teacher experiences on God, then you're going to assume that Judaism is there to cripple your life. You know, the, the deep shift is God loves me. That's the deep shift over here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, and I mean, along those lines, along those lines of people struggling with, you know, what choices to make in Judaism and, you know, and other choices, moral choices that they need to make as well. I feel part of me feels that we're living in a spiritual desert. It really does. I mean, we have so many distractions around us. I mean, so many things vying for our attention. I mean, especially technology. The phone is ringing. The WhatsApp is dinging. The chicken is burning in the oven. And you just have to send that one last text and the kid is crying. You know, I mean, we have so many distractions. It's, it's, it's hard to center yourself. It's hard to like get yourself together to think about like, what are my priorities? What should I really be doing? here I, I you know it, I feel like it's hard to focus at, at least for me I feel like it's oftentimes very hard to focus myself and you know in this fast-paced society where everybody's running around I just want to see in the last few minutes that we have left if you can give us some nuggets on how we can regain focus on what's really really important so that we can live life with purpose okay um, big question, and it's an amazing question um, and I would I, 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 I guess I'll share one nugget which is like this you know, there's a lot of static in our minds. There's a lot of, there's an awful lot of noise. Yes. <laughs> and it's very loud and it's very fast. And it's not only in our minds, it's in our screens. It's in our 15 different screens. It's our phone, it's everywhere. And the, the faster the phones go, the louder the static goes. And what's happened is that, you know, people often ask me, how do I know the difference between my Yitzhahara and my Yitzhatov? Like, you know, like I said before, sometimes it's my Yitzhahara that's saying go to bed because I'm lazy. And sometimes it's my Yitzhahara that's sending my Yitzhahara that's sending me to bed because I'm exhausted. Like, how do you know which one's which when often they, they sort of have each other's scripts? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the best answers that I found to that is you can't tell a Yitzhahara and a Yitzhahara in what they're saying. Because again, for different people, different situations, you know, the same sentence can come out of each one of their mouths, right? You can have a Yitzhahara that says, don't be friends with that woman. And you can have a Yitzhahara that says, don't be friends with that woman. You know, like it's not that you can't judge because, you know, we're not at a stage where we have one little devil sitting on our shoulder going, eat the Big Mac and, you know, and the blue devil and the blue angel going, no, no, say Psalms. Like, it's not that <laughs> simple. <laughs> that would be easy. You know, like, it's not that simple. And what I've noticed when I, you know, like this is a really important question. Like you can go for years thinking that you have a Yitzhahara, a Yitzhatov, because it's, it's trying to make you do more and more and more. And it's really just driving you into like a nervous breakdown. And you're like, wow, that was a Yitzhahara all that time trying to crash me. I thought it was making me do better, like good things all day long. You know, it's so important to know the difference. And I noticed that the difference is not what they're saying, but how they're saying it. Okay. Because the Yitzhahara sounds like this. <laughs> and the Yitzhatov sounds like this. Ding. it doesn't need to say it a million times it doesn't need to come out with different angles at you it doesn't shout at you it just says it's peace and you can take it or leave it the Yitzhahara will get louder and louder and louder and the Yitzhatov will always and forever remain this small voice that says ding 
So this is what's happened. We can't hear our inner wisdom anymore because our inner wisdom doesn't shout. Right. All we're hearing are the loud static voices of urgency and pressure and guilt and more and consumerism and technology and, and porn and the whole, like we're hearing the things that shout. So I don't think I can tell you anything about how to get fulfillment, but I think you can. I think we can, but we need to be able to hear the wisdom inside of us that will only be able to be heard above the noise if we switch the noise off every so often. And if we refuse to switch the noise off, we're not going to hear our inner wisdom because our inner wisdom isn't shouting. It's just talking and it'll say it nicely and it'll say it once. <laughs> and you don't wanna bring yourself to a situation where you have to be so on your knees that you can finally hear your inner wisdom because you know, you've just lost it completely. You know, people, people hear their inner wisdom when they're in a very elevated, quiet place or they're in a very, very, they're on their knees in crisis. You know, that's when, that's when they hear their inner wisdom. Most of us are functioning dangerously somewhere in between which means we can go for an awfully long time without quieting down those voices and hearing ourselves. Right. So we have to make it a practice to, to, to switch the sound off. That might be um, switching your phones off. That might be Shabbat. That might be going for a walk in nature. That might be talking slowly, you know, once in a while to somebody old. Like there's, there, there are ways where we can, but if we, if we keep that noise loud we will not hear the part of us that is trying to guide us because we'll drown it out and when i know that my inner wisdom offers me wisdom for fulfillment for what i need from life right? when i know that you know i want to listen to it but i have to actually be able to hear it so, that, so we've got to switch the radio off we've got to switch the radio off so we can hear our our, our, our wisdom wow that's really, really important. You're right. You're right. Because we're going 24-7 at a frenzied pace and we don't often take that time to just turn everything off and just be with ourselves. Yes. And, and we do it so, so little that for many people, like we said at the beginning, when Corona happened and they were forced to it, yes. to do it, for some people, they had the most unbelievable insights as to the changes they wanted to make in their lives. And some people were so unused to it that they couldn't cope with it. You know, we do not want to, we, we do not want to hit a stage in our frenzy that we're so addicted to our frenzy that we cannot enjoy moments of quiet and wisdom. That means we've gone too far. We've gone too far. And we have to like, we have to turn it down. If I'm so addicted to the noise and the static and the urgency that I'm under more, I'm feeling more anxiety by, by experiencing peace. Something is, some, something has just gone too far. And I, and I have to say, you know, some, something has to give over here. Wow. That's amazing. It's addicted to the frenzy. That's so interesting. I've never heard it phrased exactly like that, but you're, you're right on target and you're right. We have to stop. We have to move away from being addicted to the frenzy and more to just a yeah. deep breath, relax, connecting with ourselves, figuring out our Yezer Tov versus our Yezer Hara so we could proceed yeah. on the, in the right direction. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robertson Alana, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Robertsons. We really appreciate you being here. And we hope that all the powerful learning that we did here today would be for the Rafua Shalema of Lipko Bat Maria Mazal and also Haim Aviel Ben Ruth. If anyone in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast or 
If anyone would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. That's A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for having me, Vera. It's very nice to be here with you and uh, much, much luck in, uh, not luck, much blessing in giving people the wisdoms that they need to have the lives that they want. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.